Welcome to a special To Be More series on violence in Baltimore. I'm TJ Smith, your host. And during this series, you will hear from survivors who had to bury their children, along with those in leadership tasked with making the changes our city so desperately needs. We want to do a deeper dive into the pain and suffering of those left to hold on to memories of their loved ones, as well as understand more about the different resources available to them and the complicated process of addressing the epidemic of violence in our city. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Miss Jacqueline Uzel, who lost her son Robert on April 8th of 2021, and Miss Letitia Montagu, who lost her son Daniel in January of 2018. So we're going to get right into it. And first off, uh, very sorry for your losses. Um, I appreciate you both being here to share your stories. And I know personally how tough it still is, even years later. And one of our goals today with this podcast series is for people to understand that everlasting pain from this type of loss. Since Daniel was killed in January of 2018, well over 1,000 other people have been killed in the city since. And since Robert was killed in April of 2021, more than 300 other people have been murdered. And that brings me to my first question for you both. How does this pace of violence that we've been on affect your psyche as you try to heal when you hear about another shooting, another murder, knowing that someone joins the sad fraternity that you both are part of? Well, for me, it's pretty much like a, a trigger. Um, every time I see the news or I see something on social media about someone else losing a child, it, it just triggers me. Not only do I cry for them, but it brings up everything that's inside of me that I went through. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's hurtful. It's devastating. It's, it's sad. Yeah. And Miss Jacqueline? It's like a nightmare. I relive the day every day. Um, every time I hear that someone got killed or cut the news on, I just think of my son, and I pray that parents don't go through what I went through with Baltimore City as a mother, as an African-American woman. It hurts every day. Yeah, this 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 is the part that that people I think forget because when it's off the headline, when it's no longer a story, no one is thinking of the fact that there is someone that's going to be planning a funeral. There are people whether it's at the hospital or what have you. And and that's again where we're trying to get get to to have a greater understanding or for young people to have a greater understanding of this impact that their actions can have when they decide to take a gun and harm someone else or a knife and harm someone else. So, so Miss Montagu, tell me about Daniel. Tell me who he was. Um, <laughs> Daniel was, was a good kid in his own way. Um, we raise our kids to do right. Anything they do wrong, they do on their own. Um, he went to school. He, he actually went to Emerson High School where he played football. Um, 
playing football was like a, a big thing for him. He loved playing football. It kept him out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, he went off to college after he graduated from high school, did a year in college, and came home. Um, yeah, he got in some trouble, but he got himself together, and then he started working at University of Maryland. Um, he was a father. He was a brother. You know, he was a nephew. He was a grandson. Um, he was pretty much, I would say, the glue to our family because he always had something going on that brought us together. And um, that day, I got that phone call. It's just a day I'll never, ever forget. Um, <laughs> I was at work, and everybody that know me know I'm on social media all day, every day. And this, this one day, I wasn't. I said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to cook dinner for my kids. And I, I got home, and I started cooking. And, you know, my kids would always come over for dinner. And still, it was 6 o'clock. I still hadn't been on social media. I, I saw nothing. So I got a phone call from a girlfriend, and she goes, um, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. She said, is Daniel okay? I said, yeah, I'm waiting for him to come to my house. And she said, Tisha, you might want to look on social media. And I, I still didn't. First thing I do is I call my mother. I'm like, Ma, have you heard from Daniel? And she's like, well, somebody said he was in an accident. I'm on my way to the hospital. And I'm like, okay. So I grabbed my daughter, and I'm like, your brother was in an accident again. Let's, you know, go to the hospital. I get to the hospital, and he's like, oh, he's in um, shock trauma. And I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? So I get down to shock trauma, and the nurse is like, uh, chaplain is going to come down and talk to you and I'm, I'm nervous now I still have no clue of what's going on so they put us in this small room like like this and the doctors come in and I see it in the nurse's face and she's just red and these are nurses and doctors that he actually worked with and I'm like what's going on and she's like Miss Chambers at the time I was married she goes, um, I know you heard reports of Daniel being shot in his stomach. And I'm like, I haven't heard anything. I don't even know what you're talking about. So she stops talking, and the doctor starts talking. And he goes, Ms. Chambers, we're starting to tell you that Daniel was shot several times in his chest and his head and died at 1239 on his way to the hospital. 7 p.m. now, so my son had already been deceased on social media for over six hours, and I had no clue. And um, that's just a day I'll never forget. Yeah, that's 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 um, that's really tough. And you mentioned Daniel as a son, um, a son, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, how how is his son doing now? He has a daughter. A daughter. I'm sorry. Um, how is his daughter doing now? Corey is seven. Um, she remembers her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, when it happened, she was three. And um, the obituary that we have is like a book. Mm-hmm. So she would she calls me Mooch. So she'll say Mooch. I'm reading Daddy's book. Mm-hmm. So she would look at all the pictures, see pictures of him and her and pictures of him. And to this day, she knows who he is. She doesn't know exactly what happened, but she knows that 
Her dad is gone. You know, she visits him in the cemetery and just sees this picture. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to you because um, your situation with your son played out a bit different from Miss Uzel's situation, which is just about a year and a half old from 2021. Um, can you tell me about Robert and who he was? Robert was our giant protector to everyone. Always been happy-go-lucky, always been a family guy. Robert had two kids. He, um, Robert is was 15 when he passed. Raleigh was 11. On April 8, 2021, I came in from work, checked the mailbox, called Robbie, and said... Robbie, you have some mail, so, you know, when you get a chance, stop by and pick it up. He was like, all right, love you. I was like, I love you more. I go upstairs, just getting in from work, take my clothes off, ready to shower, sitting on the side of the bed, and I heard the shots. Normally, when I hear the shots, I start praying, asking the Lord, don't let no hurt, harm, or danger come before my kids. Didn't feel anything. A bang came on the door, and it kept banging and kept banging, so I slipped something on. I went to the door, and he said, Miss Jackie, put your shoes on. Robbie just got shot. <laughs> I, I ran to the sea. When I got there, the ambulance never was there, never showed up. Police had just finished doing CPR. She came over. She said she's sorry. They hurry up and brushed her away. When I went to, you know, question her, they brushed her away. So as I walked over towards my son, they said, you can move back. You could identify him as shock trauma. I called my family to meet me at shock trauma. But something said, don't leave. Don't leave. I stayed there for two hours and 47 minutes. My baby laid on the street in his blood. <laughs> Every time I said something to one of the police, they was very unprofessional, very nasty, like I didn't lose anybody. <laughs> the homicide detective, um, when he did come, he, um, not, he introduced himself, very rude. I was trying to keep my composure. I was like, I cannot leave. I cannot crack. I got to stay strong. My grandkids was home. They found out about it on social media <laughs> through a friend. They kept calling. I couldn't answer. When the medical examiner came, he um, gave me... He came in. He said, I'm sorry for your loss. I know what you're going through because I lost my son to the streets in November of 2020. And I stated to him that he lay in the street for two hours and 47 minutes. He walked away, never responded. He came back. He gave me, myself and Robert Father a card to identify my son's body by a number. <laughs> 
the next, he told me, wait till the next day to call. I called the next day. <laughs> and that's when the roadblock began. <laughs> the lady came to the phone and said, are you sure your son was shot on Ashburton Street? I said, I'm positive. She said, did you check the hospital? I said, ma'am, I sit out there. I stood out there with him for two hours and 47 minutes. She came back to the phone. We don't have that number. She comes back, and she gave me a Williams name. And I said, no. I said, Robert Uzel, and I gave her the number again. She said, that's not the right number. I said, ma'am, let me speak to somebody's supervisor. I'm somebody's mother. She comes back to the phone and say, oh, we found him. Like, it was just nothing. She told the friend home they could pick him up, and she hung up. I called the detective. I called back to the medical examiner to see if I could speak to him. I kept calling the detective, so I had my niece to call the detective. Um, no response, no response, no response. Every day, it took detectives 11 months to return, not even to return the insurance company call. The insurance company tried to contact him in reference to my son's insurance. It took him 11 months to answer his phone just to say I didn't have anything to do with it. I had talked to a state's attorney, and he stated to me that it was a miscommunication with the paramedics. That's why my son was left on the street for two hours and 47 minutes. Then he stopped answering his phone. It's just been one thing after another. And as I said, Robert was a great, excellent father. He was very active in his kid's life. He was very active in my life, his brother's life. He loved everybody. He, uh, he had one niece. Um... Uh, uncle, but it's, I just miss my baby. Yeah. I'm at work. I miss her. I'm walking down the hall on my job just on Monday. I smells rapid. And I looked around, wasn't nobody there. <laughs> I go in the bathroom, I get myself together, I come out. <laughs> I tried to reach out to the detective again to see if he had anything. No answer. I wrote on July 27th, I wrote Brandon Scott, Mayor Brandon Scott, a letter. I have yet received a response in reference to the letter that I wrote. But I sent a copy to the state's attorney office, a copy to internal affairs, the commissioner. Nobody have yet returned my a response to my letter. Do you think, um, with as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, being emotionally triggered basically with so much violence, do you think that the city itself is overwhelmed where, unfortunately and, and, and sadly, your son literally became a number and that made it a little bit di- more difficult to communicate? I know the city is overwhelmed. I know they are. I know they are tired of this. I, I know they're working to the best of their knowledge, but it, it's too many people that work in their office where I could I could have at least received 
one phone call in 17 months. I could have at least received one phone call. So, and so in, in the worst moment of your life, um, it, it, no one can bring them back, but a bit more courtesy would have lifted a burden off of you is what you're telling me. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know how many times my son was shot. All I know, my son was shot in the upper body. I don't know. I asked for the autopsy. I couldn't get it. I asked for his property. They said I would have to file for his estate for his property. For his property, I had to file for his estate. This property that was on him, that's not no home or nothing like that. This property that was on him, why should I have to file for his estate? Why should I have to go through all these changes for just to get a list of what he had in his property just to see if it's worth filing for his estate? My son left two kids behind. I'm not going to throw away no extra money when it can constantly go on now. And, 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 and this is part of what people need to hear because people don't understand what happens after the fact. They see the headline and then we move on and, you know, through whatever platform I have, if, if we can get a better process in this horrible situation so that additional drama and trauma isn't put on someone, that's what needs to happen because, again, you know, it could be a, a simple memento that the deceased had on them that can make you feel that much better in a horrible situation. Um, that, that, that's, it's, a, it's a horribly tragic situation, and I want to transition back because you were able to get closure. But before we get to the closure, and I say closure, closure through an arrest, I want to ask, did you care to know why? Did you find out why? And the person that was ultimately accused, um, what's their status and did they know who Daniel was? What was their relationship? That's what kind of made it even harder because um, the person that did it, you know, we, well, I, you know, had dinner with this family and this family was in my home and opened up my home and my heart and, you know, my family to this family. We were like this. Um, so when I found out who did it, I was devastated. Um, when I found out the reason and why, I was devastated. So, um, Did you want to know why? I'm, I'm just, I'm curious because I, I asked I myself that question. I did. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know why. Um, and when we finally went to court and they gave him that opportunity to speak, I just felt her hatred. Mm -hmm. And I looked down beside me on the same bench was the family. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them with pure hatred, like I had 
nothing for them. Like, nothing. And it scares me till this day to even see them. I haven't seen them since then. And I, I, I swear with everything in me, I think it's, it's only God. Because yeah. I don't know. Did, did the suspect plead guilty or was it a trial? Um, so we went back and forth. Um, they took a plea deal. Mm-hmm. And like I told my attorney, I said, let's, let's just take the plea. Because I didn't want to put myself through a trial. I didn't want to see. Yes, they had footage. They had videos. They had pictures. I didn't want to see any of that. So in the victim statement, you know, like I said to the judge or whatever, it doesn't matter what you give him, how much time you give him. They still get to visit their son. They still get to physically see him, touch him, hold him, hug him. I don't. Right. So, um, yes. Yeah. That's that's, uh, ironic. It must be a similar script. I said the exact same thing. Uh, about my brother's murder, uh, you know, um, you're going to get to see him and mm-hmm. touch him and mail cards mm-hmm. back and forth, et cetera. Um, and that ended up being a trial and, and eerily similar, somebody he let in his home. And similar as well when he turned around and apologized to us. And he knew, you know, my, my father and sister much better than me, but I'm the guy that was on television. So he says, apologize to the TJ Smith family. And I took great offense to that. And it's like, you know, we're in trial because of you actually. So Miss Uzel with not having closure and murder investigations are complex. And, you know, do I agree that the communication could be better with families, absolutely. Uh, but they're complex investigations because you really get one bite at the apple uh, to secure a conviction. Do you have any, without going into detail, but any knowledge of why? And at this point, do you want to know why or, or, or how are you trying to seek justice in your son's death? I don't have any knowledge. I don't know why. I ask questions. I just want answers. I don't know why, but I do want answers. I mean, Robert didn't hurt anybody. He wasn't raised like that. He was raised with love. He had some brush, brushing with the, with the law, but... He was he was intelligent. He was a reader. He wasn't stupid. But why? I mean, why take someone's life? Mm-hmm. And on the process of me going through the grieving and everything, someone gave me a book, and I, I just set the bag to the side um, when they gave it to me. But then later on, about a month later, the bag was still sitting in the same spot. I looked at inside the bag, and it was a book called Hurt People, Hurt, Hurt People. Mm-hmm. That tore me up mm-hmm. because I always felt that in my heart. Hurt people hurts people. Mm-hmm. 
I ask the question, why, all the time. And I know you shouldn't question the Lord, but if you don't question him, you would never have the answer. I talk about Robert a lot. I wait for him to walk through that door some nights just to come through and check on me. And he'd be like, hey, my, it's me. I love you. That was our favorite word. Famous word to each other was, I love you. I get it from my oldest son, but I I would never get it from Robert again. My oldest son is going through a lot of changes dealing with it because that's all that's all he had. He only had one brother. How were how were Robert's kids? They are eleven and fifteen, much older than Miss Montague's uh, granddaughter. How were they at 11 and 15 uh, now, um, just a year younger at the time this occurred? Um, they have their days. My, young, my grandson is the oldest. He's quiet. He don't talk a lot. But you see the, you see the pain in his face. Um, my granddaughter, she expressed herself a lot. She's angry. They don't like coming in the city. But it's all over, you know, and I explained that to them. It's all over, and they understand that, but they just don't like coming in the city because their father was killed three blocks away from Grandma's house. So I try to spend a lot of time with them. I try to talk to them um, while we talk every day. Sometimes um, we were talking about report cards back in June. And my granddaughter was like, I'm going to be in advanced class again next year. And I turned around, I looked at Robbie. He said, Grandma, this was the roughest year of my life. Oh, yeah. That tore me up. Yeah. My grandson used to play football. He, he'd only had the anxiety to play football. He played last year. But this year he didn't even go. He didn't even want to. Then kids killing kids. And and picking up the pieces, there are fatherless children left to navigate these streets. Um, were you ever concerned, each of you, were with your son? I mean, it's tough raising a black boy in Baltimore, uh, but you know, once you trust them that they can handle themselves, you maybe release a little bit. I'm now being a father uh, myself. I, I like apologize to my mom all the time when I used to take liberties of doing my own thing because it's now nothing but paranoia in my head. Were you concerned at all about your child? I mean, uh, heightened alert. Like, I'm scared I'm going to get that knock at the door. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Robert had um, a birthday, a surprise birthday party. For his 35th birthday. Why did they throw the party? I don't know. Um, I didn't go because of the fear that I had. Wow. And I was like, why would they throw him a party? Why? And they had invited me, but I just couldn't go. I couldn't do it. When the party was over, my granddaughter called me and told me the party was over. Everything went good. And I just praise God, and I just thank God, and I just thank God. And because I was so afraid that something was going to happen that night. 
because the 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 world we live in, you know, Baltimore City. So I'm, I'm saying, and then I found out that he really didn't even want to go. They talked him into going to his party because he wanted to stay home that night. Mm. And he went. He had a good time, but I thank God it didn't happen that night. But it still turned around to happen. Right. But I. I fear even my oldest son, he's 45. I fear his life every day. He's a truck driver, but I fear his life every day. I fear my grandson's life. I don't want him to grow up. Every time he go out, we constantly call on his phone. If he go to the movies, if he go get something to eat, I'm on the phone with him. And, of course, when something like this happens, you're, you're even more heightened because you've felt the reality of it actually happening um during that process of court for you um did you did you have interactions with victim witness advocates um that might have helped you through the process um i did it was just uh one in particular her name was kiki collins Mm -hmm. um and kiki's son was killed a year or two before daniel and they Mm -hmm. were like close friends and I know her as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dante and Daniel were really good friends. So Kiki, the night it happened, she was the first one at my house. Mm-hmm. And she held me and she hugged me. And she was there for me every step of the way. And I want to say she works for, um, she does the advocacy work for moms. moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moms. And moms, my, uh, mothers of murdered sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And it's also fathers in that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daphne Alston, uh Head of uh, that group, uh, Miss Millie Brown also has a mother's cry. These are advocacy groups that are volunteer groups that that wrap their arms around people who've uh, lost. But we do have some professional um, uh, agencies or help um, in the police department, the state's attorney's office. And I just remember during trial, I had a, a great one. I wish I could remember her name, um, you know, because everything is a blur to me um, as well that were helpful and I wish it could expand because it's all good for that moment. But it's like the pastor will say at the church, the, when the phone calls stop, when everybody thinks everything's back to normal, then what, you know, and going through something like this, nothing is ever normal again. Ever. We'll never know what normal is again. Um, like you said, we, you know, we viewed the body, we planned the funeral, we went to a funeral. And for me, with, with going on five years, my days are different every day. Some days I don't get out of bed. Some days I'm crying. Some days I'm laughing. My life will never be normal again. My baby girl is, is moving to Texas. So that's a trigger for me. Now I have nobody. Man. You know, when, when Daniel got killed, it was just me and her. And... um. You know, it affected her a lot too. It, it affects when you take when you take someone from their family. It doesn't just affect the mother. It doesn't just it affects the whole family, the whole family. A nucleus of people that, yes. that that are taken out by that. And again, psychologically, it's it's a it's a great impact. And you know, it, it's 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 one of those things that uh, it, the more people understand this, the more hopefully they can have conversations. And I, I I used to often say, you know, if you're 
child, your boyfriend, whomever is a gangbanger. You know that they running around those streets. And because someone had brushes with the law in Baltimore, especially when we had a, a, a history of you know, over-incarcerating people for smaller crimes that they might not have been arrested for, that's not an excuse for the death penalty. You know, so so we can't, you know, just make that, uh, oh, well, that person was a bad guy. And I would say often as well, when I was on the scene of violence, I say that person laying under that sheet there has somebody that loves them, regardless of how bad of a person they might have been. Somebody loves them. And if they have children, those children are innocent. And we're, we have to keep that in mind that whoever did this to them is worse, you know. Uh, it, it, it's 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 just something that we all have to consider, Miss um, Uzel. Are you are you confident? Uh, do you you keep hope alive that there will be a conclusion um, in the investigation of your son's case? And it's about at this stage where we are today, about a year and a half old. I pray every day that they find a person that they are still working on his case. But like I said, I wouldn't even know because I don't have no communication with nobody. Um, no one returns your phone call. My son was a great guy. He didn't deserve this. He did not deserve this. I always felt like I was a great mother. An excellent mother. I don't deserve this. I deserve some answers. I mean, I know, when I say I know nothing, I know nothing. What do you, what do you want to know um, that would help your, your, your grieving process first? Um, you know, and, and, and as I said before, investigations are complex. And, um, and I, I keep going back to when I used to do a job standing at the podium and I would be asked certain questions and, <laughs> wouldn't want to say anything publicly that would disrupt the investigation if there was one going on that um, could jeopardize it. Because if the bad guy has it and they can use it to get off, we don't want to give them that. But what, what would you want if I can assist in making it happen that could help with the grieving process right now? I understand what you're saying about the investigation, but just – let me know that you're still working on my son's case. That he just wasn't a number. You just didn't throw. His case won't be a cold case. Mm -hmm. I deserve answers. I did. Yeah, my grandkids deserve answers, and I want them. I mean, I wasn't. I'm not one of them mothers who just sit home and do nothing. I work every day. I'm a taxpayer. And, any, and any, I deserve answers. Any, I mean, and, and I know it's tough out here. I know it's. I know how rough it is. I know that the police is. I mean, some of them got hard. Some of them did. And some of them see it so much to their immune to it. Today, I don't even want to deal with it. But tell me something. Now, every every if 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 a life is taken in this city, it deserves the utmost attention, and the families deserve the utmost attention. And I think there are ways that that process could be better managed, without a doubt, um, to ensure people are getting some answers. You know, and and I think the, the the answer everyone wants right away is what happened and why and who. 
And sometimes that's difficult, but the basics of here's where we are is something that should happen. And we're going to see if we can get some of that done just, again, to, to help bridge that process because it's not, it's not fair if you haven't heard anything. And it, it shouldn't be a cold case. What would you all want to say to gun toters? If you're in a room full of people who got convicted of carrying a gun and they're going to go back on the street soon, what would you want to say to them if you had an opportunity? Ms. Montague. Just stop it. Like, stop, stop the violence. Just stop. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of these killings now are retaliatory, like, which means it's never going to stop, you know. But just put the guns down. Think about your families, you know. If you have kids, think about your kids. You know, we don't want to keep, well, mothers, fathers don't want to keep burying their children. You're not just hurting the person that you shot. You're hurting the family. You're tearing families apart. You're tearing us down. We don't know. I mean, at this point, it's affecting my health. Mm -hmm. I just left the doctor. At this point, it's affecting my health because I could never get my son back. I could never get my son back. But that mother still has her son. Rather she know if he did it or not, she still has her son. I don't. So even if he go to court, it don't make me no difference. What happened to him? I would never get mine back. What do you guys, what do you think we can do better um, as a city? Uh, whether it's from leadership or everyone, um, do you feel like Everything is being done to curb the violence. Or if if you had a seat at the table, is, uh, do you have suggestions of what more could be done to prevent more of this in the future? Police need to get out of the car and walk. Take some of these cars away. Um, they're in the car. They, they're sitting on their cell phones. I mean, every time I ride past a police or walk past the police, he just sitting, if he's sitting down on the corner, he on his phone the whole time. Riding down North Avenue and the police is just on Pennsylvania and North, they like just the whole time they on the corner. Come on, you got to do better. You're getting a paycheck. And I know that you can't get everybody, but it's just not safe out here. It's not. You can't go nowhere. It's... It's not, and you can even see the police sitting right there, and you still don't feel comfortable. I mean, there's definitely a, um, a gap now between um, police and us in the community. It's, it's, a, it's a trust thing. We don't feel safe anymore. A lot of us don't feel safe. A lot of us don't trust, you know, police anymore. You know, like she said, I, I've seen it myself. They just, they're right past they, you might get a handful that still care, but I'm going to say it a lot of them just, they don't care. And they probably won't care until something happens to them that's going to affect them and their family. Is there anything else you um, want to say about Daniel or Robert um, before we close? Um, I miss my baby every day. Um, he's my firstborn. Um, 
we all miss him. We love him. I talk about him as much as I can. Um, I still talk to a lot of his coaches and help out with the football teams and do different things in his name. But I miss my baby every day. And Daniel was how old? How was he? Daniel was 21. 21? 21. And Robert was 38? No, Robert was 35. 35. The news said he was 38, but Robert was 35. 35. Um, I miss, we all miss Robbie. His family, his friends, his kids, his kids, um, his kid's mother, everybody misses Robbie. I mean, Robbie was, like I said, was the jolly, the gentle giant in the family. And he was a big guy, but he still was the gentle giant in the family. And it's just hard living without him. It's really hard living without him. Yeah. And some days, like she said, I, she don't want to get out of bed. Some days, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go downstairs. A lot of days I come come in the house, I go straight upstairs. Do not come back downstairs for anything. Um, I'm not happy. All that went out the window. I don't have a social life because all I think about is Robert. I don't want to do anything. My grandkids, when I do go around them, I try to be happy, but it's Tear me up on the inside. Yeah. Well, we're going to have pictures um, of both Daniel and Robert on our website um, and pictures of them in their element with smiles on their faces, uh, having a good time with their family, uh, not MVA photos or no mugshot stuff. We don't do that. The, the, the humans that they were. Um, and I want to thank you ladies for being vulnerable and sharing your stories of your sons. I uh, can't imagine how difficult it, it was, and I think people can hear and feel the pain that still exists. And again, if you have any information on the murder of Robert Uzel that occurred on April 8, 2021, in the 1600 block of Ashburton Street, please contact detectives at 410-396-2100, 416-396-2100, or Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. Be sure to tune in to our entire series as we discuss violence, its impact, and solutions here on To Be More. For now, I'm TJ Smith, and thanks for joining us. <laughs>